You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. All right, well, welcome to the Redeeming Grace Church Good Friday service. I'm Josh Brown, and thank you for being with us tonight. Um, we're going to go for a little bit different feel tonight in terms of our service. We want to f- really spend our time feeling the weightiness of Good Friday, what happened 2,000 years ago. And so I want you to just mentally, in your own mind, put yourself at the cross as we read through the Christian crucifixion story. We're going to sing songs about the significance of the cross. And then when we, uh, I'm going to share a little bit about the, um, the weightiness of the cross as well. And then the way that we want to end this is that we'll let the scriptures kind of have the final word and then we'll dismiss and it'll be kind of a solemn, a solemn leaving of tonight, just like they did on that first of Jesus is dead, he's buried, and I guess this is it. That's kind of the, the, the tone we're going for tonight in, in anticipation of Easter, the weightiness of Good Friday. So when we do f- dismiss, you'll, you'll feel that as we get to the end of the, end of the service and uh, that's the intent of that and certainly encourage you to chat with each other on your way out, but we want to we wanna walk out of here having, having beheld what Christ has done for us on the cross and just kind of let that sit on us tonight. So that's our, that's our aim tonight. So if you would, let's, uh, let's just bow and pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Oh God, we come before the cross of Jesus on this Good Friday. God, we want to think deeply about the significance of this historic day, to ponder the vileness of sin, the brutality inflicted upon Jesus, the wrath, the holy wrath that was poured out on him and his giving up his life as an atonement for sin and for sinners. So God, help us in this time to understand and to imagine, to feel in our hearts the intensity of the crucifixion of the Son of God. And we ask that you would help us to see you and ourselves rightly, and then to be rightly related through you, through, rightly related to you, through the act that was, that was done on our behalf on the cross. So God, speak to our hearts and our minds. Open our eyes to all that you have for us tonight. And may we walk out of here changed because of what we have seen and sung and heard and prayed. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture reading is from Mark chapter 14, verse 32, through Mark 15, verse 20. And they went to the place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here 
and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about him, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the court of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. 
And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus? But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. He went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, 
king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, put his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please stand and sing a song with us?
continuing on from Mark 15, verse 21 to 39. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him myrrh, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to divide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charges against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God.
seated. So Good Friday is odd because we are celebrating the execution of a person. There's a lot of people who have died in brutal ways. So what makes this so significant? Um, Why is this the feature of this of of so many people around the world down through history? What is it about this particular execution that looms large and changes history and changes eternities. And, um, you know, we drop in in the middle of this gospel story and we hear about the brutality of this execution of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But in order to really understand what is happening on the cross, we really have to go back to the beginning of the book. And what we have is we have something really interesting. This good God creates this magnificent creation. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we hear nothing but blessing, no cursing. Chapters 1 and 2 are nothing but blessing on this good creation that he so enjoys, is getting so much glory out of, and he's got these human beings, and it's just blessing, 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 three times blessed. And then if you keep reading at the beginning of the book, you get to chapter 3 and 4, and there's three curses. It's cursed, cursed, cursed with no blessing. So the story changes quite dramatically from humans in a wonderful relationship with their good and perfect God to now being at odds with and under the wrath of and enduring the curse of that same God. So you wonder what what happens between 1 and 2 to go from so much blessing to so much cursing with no blessing. Was it it that God changed? Was there something in God that changed that all of a sudden he decided that he just temperamentally decided that he didn't like what he created anymore, that he got tired of blessing and wanted to balance it out with some cursing? No, there was nothing that changed in God. But humanity changed. Humanity had set before them two trees that represented two destinies. One is perfect life with God forever, the tree of life. And then a tree also called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a tree of death. And they essentially had a a covenant in front of them. Would they covenant with God and live forever in right relationship with him? Or would they covenant with the serpent and try to be their own gods and to find their own reality and, and and be a God unto themselves, to put themselves at odds with God, to hijack His creation for their purposes instead of His own. And we're going to look at that a little bit more on Sunday, exactly how that temptation came and how death entered the world. But humanity did decide willfully, eyes wide open. God told them what would happen if they went against Him. And God didn't change. God's holiness was still the same. It's just now that they decided to make themselves enemies of that holiness. And they came under a curse. Man changed. Due to his image and dominion status, the whole universe fell with him into a whole-scale war against God. And God, being holy in every way, must punish sin. God wasn't going to change to try to accommodate their sin. No, God was still holy. And sin was, at its very essence, against God. Sin and God cannot live in harmony with each other. And so God pronounced a curse that he promised them. They chose it. They chose to be under God's curse. And when we think about the curse of God, the right curse of God against sin because of its destructive power and it's robbing him of glory, uh, I think we tend to think of curses a bit superstitiously as if like that house is cursed, weird stuff happens there. We tend to think of it superstitiously. There's some bad mojo, some bad karma, some bad luck associated with places or things. 
But when you talk about the curse of God, you're talking about a personal, intentional adversary. To have God and his holiness and all of his good attributes to be against something or someone. It's a personal thing. To be blessed by God is to have God for you and all of his attributes to be for you. To be under a curse is to have all of God's attributes, in a sense, against you. To be cursed is to have God entirely against you, speaking against you, disapproving of you. And humanity chose that route. And all of their descendants have inherited that same cursed nature, that same cursed disposition we all We all have wanted to be our own God. We've all wanted to do our own thing. And so we've confirmed that we are children of Adam and Eve and therefore under the same curse. In Genesis 3, we see a couple of aspects of the curse that I think are interesting is that as God deals with their sin and confronts them in the garden, we have two things that I think tell us a little bit about what curse in the Bible means, particularly God's curse against humanity. We see in chapter 3, verse 21, after pronouncing his curse upon them and creation, the man and the woman and the serpent, verse 21 has this interesting phrase that I think points to what is at the essence of the curse. Verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. So there was needing to be a covering for their sin, for their shame. They were naked and unashamed before, meaning they were innocent before God. Now they had to be covered because of their sin. And so blood was shed. The first death, so to speak, the first physical death here is of some animals to get these skins. Some blood needed to be shed in order to cover up their shame. And then in verse 24, he drove man out of the he drove out the man and to the east of the garden of Eden and placed the cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard from the tree of life. So I think we have two aspects of the curse that mankind is under. And it is there's a, a legal cursing that demands blood in order to cover it. There's the legal, but then there's also the relational side of the curse is that man must be banished. Sin must be banished. So the curse has two aspects, a legal and a relational. Blood, there must be a penalty paid, and then banishment. Sin must be removed from God's presence. It must go far from him, far from the place and person of life. We see as the story develops through the Old Testament that God has his chosen people and he does all this miraculous work to to hold up this people who are going to be the the deliverers of the promise. They're going to be the representatives of God in the world and he sets up ceremonies for them. In Leviticus 16, we have this interesting ceremony set up for the Day of Atonement. So Israel is to, to be God's mouthpiece to the world, God's representatives on why there's a curse on the world. And how to be made right with that God. Watch us. Pay attention to us. We will show you what's wrong with the world and how to be made right with God. And ultimately, the deliverer was going to come through these people. And so God set up these ceremonies to remind them of the curse and the grace of God that he will deal with the curse, that he will deliver them. In Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, verse 5 says, And he, the priest, shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering. And so we have two goats. And this portrays the two aspects of the curse that we see in Genesis 3. It's illustrated. There's going to be one goat to deal with the legal aspects of the curse. And there's going to be one goat to deal with the relational aspect of the curse. And none of this actually dealt with the curse, but it was a symbol to remind the people of what's wrong with them. 
There's nothing wrong with God. There's something wrong with them that they're at odds with him. And, and what's going to be required of the one who comes to deliver them is someone who deals with both aspects of the curse, both the judgment and the banishment. And so in verse 15, he shall take one of the goats and he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement. A payment must be made. A wrong has been done. A penalty has been declared. And atonement must be made. Blood must be shed because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. Then they're to take the second goat, verse 21 through 20 and 22 of Leviticus 16. And Aaron shall lay both heads on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. I'm guessing that would take a while. That's the idea is like confess all the sins you can onto this. And there's this symbolic transfer of this this goat is going to, in, in a sense, become the curse, become the sin. It's going to kind of come off the people onto this goat. And they shall put, him, put them, meaning the sins, on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So goat one, legal atonement, blood and death to cleanse the stain of sin. Goat number two, relational abandonment dealt with as sin is banished from the camp, sent off to die in the wilderness. Sin cannot be anywhere near us. This and many other ceremonies repeat over and over to show what happened in Genesis 3 when mankind turned against God. And the man is now under the curse of God. Sin stands between a holy God and rebellious man as the fundamental problem in the universe. It all roots to a curse from an unchanging, eternal, all-knowing, and supremely holy God. When you have a God who knows and sees everything and is infinite in every way, how do you ever get out from under his curse? There's no way for man to do that themselves. Which then, enter Jesus. Jesus comes, God in the flesh, born of a virgin, fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament, fully God, fully man, without sin himself. There is one who is pure and righteous, who does not have the stain of sin on them, that does not have the curse of God upon them. And here's what happens. He comes to John the Baptist as he begins his ministry, the greatest of all the prophets, and he loudly de- declares in John 1.29, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you have this, this earth-shaking announcement that the curse that the world is under is about to be dealt with. That there is a lightning rod to absorb the wrath of God. That there is one who can come bear the sin of people, both atonement and reconciliation he can deal with both aspects of the curse it's a signal this is the one to watch this is the promised one of israel this is the one this is the new adam this is the one who can undo the curse the sin of the world initiated in adam the reason for the curse will be removed by this lamb of god the idea of a lamb is to show one who would be the object of atonement instead of someone else like that goat he's to divert the wrath of god against your sin and my sin He is the curse bearer. Jesus will absorb the curse, bear the curse, even, Scripture says, become the curse like those two goats. 
by the shedding of his own blood and by, by being banished from God's presence. When he says, as we read in Mark, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see both blood pouring out of him, atonement is being made, and he is being forsaken. He is both goats in that moment. He is Adam and Eve being sent out from God's presence. He steps so fully into humanity's place, and he himself becomes the curse. His blood poured out, himself forsaken. Both judgment and banishment in order that he might accomplish atonement and access. And that's what we have the temple, we have the veil tearing in two, meaning now humanity can come into God's presence. And you have even a Roman soldier, as we just read, who's a professional executioner. He does crucifixions every day. And he's looking at the execution of this man and goes, surely this man was the son of God. The skeptic, the one who has no dog in this fight, sees what happens to Jesus and goes, it's the curse breaker. It's, it's, it, it's the Son of God. As he breathes his last, the Roman soldier sees what even the Jewish people can't see, which is their promised one has come to be and bear the curse. Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23 says this, If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall, re- shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him that same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. There's this symbol in the Old Testament. These two trees led man. Man chose the wrong tree, and so to die on a tree is to be cursed of God. And so it's by no accident that God in His, prov- in his providence had Jesus dying on a cross. Because that's the ultimate curse, is to die on the cross. Galatians 3.10-13 says, All who rely on works of the law are still under a curse. You cannot get yourself right with God by just being a good person, by trying harder, by doing religious things. For it is written, he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God before the law. The curse is too deep and too strong for you to will your way out of it. Someone must come in your place. The righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. Christ redeemed from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So what makes this execution so much different than any other is that it's God in the flesh bearing the full weight of humanity's curse from God the Father. And we are standing here and we're looking at this. And there's a few things that should be going through our minds. One is that that's what my sin deserves from God. It should be me there. And then the second thing you think is, but it's not me there. There is someone who took my place, paid my debt, made atonement for the curse that should be on me and is on me and gives me access to God, makes atonement and access which is why we're both justified by grace through faith in this death of this cursed one and adopted both the legal requirements and the relational requirements are satisfied. So, on Good Friday, we see the God who rightly curses all mankind through the one sin of the first Adam, setting a plan in place to, in Christ, bear and become the curse. And this second Adam, receives the sentence, bloody death to make legal payment, 
bearing the banishment to restore the relational connection. And in Christ, all that God's holiness demands is satisfied and the sinner is set free. And all of those attributes are no longer against the one who trusts in Christ. But now all the attributes of God are again. The tree of life is available. Look to the cross. See and hear the God-man who was slain on that cross. Ponder the curse. See the cursed one for you, as you, in your place. For your inherited sin, for your committed sin, for the curse that hangs over you, feel the cosmic weight of the reality of the execution of this man, this God-man. And gratefully and humbly receive the forgiveness and grace purchased and offered to you by God. This is amazing. Let's spend a few minutes right now just silently reflecting on the holiness of God. The vileness of sin. The nastiness of the cross. The cursedness of Jesus. And ultimately, the kindness of God. So I want you to just spend a few moments just quietly in your own heart pondering the weightiness of the cross confess your sin to him put your trust if you will follow this Jesus his payment is for you the curse is lifted access is granted if you like that soldier will confess Jesus surely is the son of God let's spend just a few moments just quietly reflecting on that and you do business with God right now in your own soul let's pray
this is what we see at the end of Mark 15. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. 